Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, October 4th, 2011, and this is episode 86. I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, Paul. How are everyone? Uh, how are you, Paul? All right, not too bad. Uh, we've got a holiday tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what we're actually supposed to do for the holiday, but it's kind of like a Halloween y kind of thing, isn't it? No, I think I think it's the one of the annual, um, the grave cleaning because there's two of these every yeah. year. Or so the Qingming Festival is in uh, May or yes, April. And, or, uh, April, yeah. And yeah. tomorrow is uh, Chongyang. Yeah, yep. So similar kind of deal. Uh, family get-togethers, barbecues, and basically a day off work. Barbecue, which is, uh, wow. much needed for me. I can say I'll be spending mm. the day doing homework. Uh, mm. What will you be doing though? I, like you, I will also be doing some work, actually. Um, I'll probably catch a movie or two. Actually, we are uh, going to go watch 33D Invader one more time. What? Because, because um, I figured I'm not going to be able to buy a DVD for this. I don't, how am I going to explain to my family? I have a DVD of 33 Invader. So I'll just watch it again and, and then let it be over with. The, the best I way the to explain it to your family is to let them watch it with you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that one's going to work so well with my family, Paul. Um, no, and the film is really enjoyable, and it's fun, and it's good to um, watch it with people that you know are going to have the biggest reaction, namely Mr. Oh, a certain doctor, mm. I shouldn't name. So he's going to watch it again, too? Yes. Oh, you guys yes. are gluttons for, gluttons for punishment, let me tell no, you. No, it wasn't that bad. This is great fun. Uh, really are you good. watching it at the Dynasty again? We're not sure. Either Newport or the Dynasty, mm. but either way, it will be Moncock, and you know what kind of audience they have in those theaters. Ah, uh, yes. I will also be looking out at the audiences to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like my, yeah, so I'm going to sit a little further back this time. All right. Um, well, that film we're going to be talking about on our next episode. What films are we going to be talking about on this episode? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about 1911, uh, Jackie Chan's 100th film, and also uh, The Sorcerer and the White Snake, starring Jet Li. Uh, and for West Green, I will be talking about Johnny English Reborn. All right. All that sounds great. And we'll get to it right after some news. All right. Uh, We've got uh, basically just one news story this week because I've had no time to go digging through the interwebs. And uh, Kevin's been very diligently following some of the film festivals and some of the film festival news going on. Um, Before we jump into the news, let me say hello to the chat room. We've got a regular in there, Matthew Seidel. Say a big hi and thanks for being here. Hopefully some other people will jump in at any point uh, and we'll get some conversations going out of them throughout the show. But Kevin, what news do you have for us this week? 
Um, today, uh, just a few hours ago, the Golden Horse Awards, uh, named the most notorious for giving Aaron Kwok too, too many acting awards, have announced their uh, <laughs> two years in a row, man. Almost three, wasn't it? Was it three years in a row or two years in a row? Two uh, years in a row I stopped sure. counting after Murderer, let me tell you. Ah, uh, yeah, well, I, I understand that. But sadly, this year, uh, the Golden Horse Awards just an, uh, announced their nominations and sadly, no Aaron Love. Despite his excellent work in the AIDS film Love for Life, I'm being sarcastic here, by the way. Um, instead, they are lending their recognition to uh, Taiwan's Cedic uh, Bali. Apparently, that's the official Cedic um, language pronunciation, so I'm calling it that way now. Not Bale, because that's Christian Bale, and that's another movie, that's another country. Cedic uh, Bali won 11 nominations. Uh, including Best Picture, Best Director. Um, three of the uh, nominations went to the Best Best New Actor Award, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Um, and you know, plenty of awards love because it is Taiwan's um, uh, biggest film ever, and lots of attention. And it's been getting kind of mixed words. Um, but but you know, of course, the Golden Horse will be will will, will recognize the film this year. Uh, second most nominated uh, is "Let the Bullets Fly" by Zhang Wen. Uh, it didn't get any love at China's Huabiao Awards um, because I guess it offended the people who starved a little much. So they're giving it nine nominations, including again Best Film, Best Director, uh, Best Actor, Ge Yo, Karina Lau, uh, second year streak of awards love for Best Supporting Actress nomination uh, and stuff like that. Um, Hong Kong-wise, we also have A Simple Life and Hui's A Simple Life, uh, also again nominated for the major awards. Uh, Best Actress, Dini Yip, Best Actor, Andy Lau, Best Director, and Hui, Best Film, uh, also Best Actress, or Best Supporting Actress, I think, Chin Hai Lu, uh, lots of the major awards, actually. Um, Best New Director, uh, we have um, the Wu Shan, Wu Shan. Uh, for the the swordsman, the butcher, and the chef, I'm not sure how, what the order goes, but anyway, he is the director of Painted Skin Two, and he's nominated here for uh, best new director. Also, uh, director Giddens, actually a very popular internet novelist in Taiwan, for the blockbuster Yun Romance, You're the Apple of My Eye. Chu uh, Hao Feng uh, for the Sword Identity, which will be playing at this year's Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. I'll talk about that later. Uh, du Jia Yi, the Chinese director. Um, uh, nominated also for Cora, which again I will talk about later uh, when we talk about the Asian Film Festival. Um, not too many uh, big surprises, uh, good way or bad way. Um, nice to see Jimmy Wan Yu get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Wuxia for his uh, Century Three scene uh, glorified cameo, I would say. Um, best um, rounding out the Best Picture nominations, we also have. Um, so I'm looking for the English title for this movie, which I cannot find. Oh, I should have done better preparation. Um, well, is this Taiwanese Taiwanese film that was at the Shanghai Film Festival and uh, Sword uh, Piano in a Factory, which has uh, been gathering a lot of award uh, festival love in the last year. Oh, okay, here's the fifth film: Return Ticket, um, which is uh, Shang- about Shanghai about migrant workers. Uh, in China, so those are the five best film nominations. Mm. Um, I'm not sure when the awards will be because I just I just pretty much picked up this news just when I was doing preparation. Uh, but um, no big Aaron Kwok level 
uh, nominations this year. Although um, young actor Eddie Pang uh, in Taiwan, better known for his idol dramas in Taiwan previously, um, might pick up the second uh, Pretty Boy Best Actor Award uh, second year in a row after Ethan Ron uh, won last year for manga. I guess uh, the Golden Horse Award is trying to um, appeal to the to the youth. Um, also, the two two main actors in You're the Apple of My Eye got nominations, uh, one for Best New Actor and one for Best Actress. Hmm. So, pretty good set of nominations here. Oh, um, as for the film today, we're talking about um, Sorcerer and the White Snake uh, got nominations for Best Visual Effects. Yeah, which I'm, I know I'm you looking might not at that be so happy on about. the uh, Film This Asia page in the article by uh, Stephen Kremen, and I'm reading that in much disbelief. Uh, I think it's, it's one of those uh, because it has the most special effects, therefore it deserves a nomination kind of deal. Yeah, you know, like how, I mean, yeah. and and I know we're going to get to this, but that's like saying that. Um, how, how would you put it? Uh, <laughs> Gears of War three is nominated for best, uh, you know, computer graphics, and it's up against Mario Brothers, which is <laughs> also nominated for best computer graphics you know the mario brothers from the 1980s uh, <laughs> and 90s or something it's just ridiculous that that's even i i guess they're just it's just because they, they've got nothing else to pick from yeah i think that's exactly what it is um, kind of default like oh it has special effects so therefore we must throw it in there <laughs> i think yeah. that kind of deal uh so wow yeah it says down at the bottom of the article too worth probably a mention is that some of the jurors um huangbo is a juror. Yeah. Uh, Pang Ho Chung, also a juror, and Edward yep. Lamb. Um, so that's an, that's an interesting cat, uh, jury cast. Um, but let's talk about what films... Do you do notice any films that are missing that you would like to be recognized this year? Um, yeah, think I think, be? you know, uh, Aaron is being overlooked for um, Love and Space. <laughs> I, I think I'm being overlooked for best subtitle of the year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Kevin Ma, why isn't your name in there? No, uh, I think one real, um, one, one that's really kind of a big omission for me is, I think, uh, Sacrifice, Chiang Kai-ge's Sacrifice. I thought it was a fine film. I think it does qualify since, you know, if Let the Bullets Fly in there is in there, then Sacrifice um, should qualify. And I think that was a fine film. Um, not Chiang Kai-ge's best, but I think it's one of his best in years. And it was a very solid film that, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if it's better than, than any of these films nominated, but I think it's a fine film that you should have gotten you some know, kind of if they're going to put up uh, if they're going to put up Sorcerer and the White Snake, and I may sound like I'm joking when I say this, but why isn't a Sex and Zen 3D in there? Hmm. But I'm not sure if they, that's the thing, I'm not sure if they recognize 3D effects, 3D post-conversion as a special effect. Well, I'm or, not just saying just because of the 3D, I mean, they had uh, lots of CG effects in that film, too. That is true. That were, you know, hands down better than a lot of what was in Sorcerer and White Snake. Oh, you asked me, I think 33D Invader had better special effects than White Snake. <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Practical, I, practical effects for sure. I think Tony but, Ho's fake penis is a good special visual yeah, effect. Yeah, but see, that's a practical <laughs> effect. But, you know, when you're talking about computer graphic effects and visual effects, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, kind of pushing and, it. Well, another thing about these nominations is, you know, of course, The Simple Life, which uh, apparently everyone in the world has seen except people in Hong Kong now, because we're not getting it until March. Yeah. And, I, and I'm and i going to say, I said it before on Twitter, and I'll say it again, I think Distribution Workshop in Hong Kong is botching the release because they are not capitalizing. They they schedule all the way to March, and they, they've kind of stuck themselves into yeah. that schedule, and they haven't thought about, hey, why not? 
push it a little bit. I think right now the buzz is good enough. It should be. It should be a holiday film. I think. It's, well, I don't know if it's pleasant enough, but yes, I think a good. It, it deserves a better spot. If not, then the first couple of weeks of January, I think is a good little little gap yeah. that they can fit in. And pre, you know, pre Chinese New Year between Christmas and New Year would be good. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, not a New Year's film, obviously, because of yeah. the subject matter. But I think it'll be a fine, you know, December release and January. And there's still time to pick up on the on the buzz. You have two months, but instead of right now, they're gonna have to hold this the buzz for five months, mm. and that's that's not. I don't think that's going to help because Hong Kong. Let's face it, Hong Kong audience has very short attention span. Yes, they do. Um, I've already tried to forget about Sorcerer and the White Snake. So hopefully I'll rem- remember enough for the review that's uh, up and coming. Uh, you also want to talk a little bit about this week about the uh, um, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Is that right? That's right. Uh, a few of these nominated films in the Golden Horse uh, Awards are featured in this year's Hong Kong Asian Film Festival, held by uh, Hong Kong's Broadway cinema chain. Um, I Full disclosure, I myself was one of the uh, seven writers on the booklet, so I have a quite a good idea of of what we can see this year so uh, i'm offering a few picks obviously you have opening film like about principal uh i've actually seen um a kind of a rough slash final cut of the closing film let's go and i can assure you that it is a fine it's actually not that bad of a movie it's quite good actually um story story night um director tom lynn's uh fantasy kind of romance uh it has a really intriguing trailer and finally has shu Zhao acting like a girl again shu Zhao as a girl that's the uh quote-unquote boy in cj7 um as i was talking about cora cora is about um a, a real a true life story about a man who um picks takes up his late brother's final wishes and goes on a bike ride um a three thousand mile bike ride from yunnan to tibet which, and it sounds like a really actually interesting thing. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I look forward to watching it. Um, also, the sword identity. So I was talking about kind of an intellectual, apparently an intellectual exercise. Um, a, a big, a, a special, fee, a special section on Asian superheroes this year, uh, featuring not only Let's Go, but also um, the Japanese film Karate Robo Zabogara. Sabogar, uh, Thailand's The Red Eagle, uh, Korean indie film Invasion of the Alien Bikini, and also the Asian Film Award-nominated uh, transvestite superhero film Madame X. Uh, another thing, um, Taiwan film all the rage this year, so a big section on Taiwan films, including both parts of Cedic Bali, which actually will see Hong Kong theatrical release anyway. Uh, jump Ashin, uh, both nominated for both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. If I could jump in, um, Cedic Bali is... Not showing with English subtitles, is that correct? Yes, apparent according to the film festival website, um, the Facebook they've told someone who asked the question that it will only have Chinese subtitles, but they have not corrected that information. Um, and we hope that they will correct it soon. Um, also, you're the apple of my eye, which has been talked about tons of times, and it's been shown actually a lot of advanced screenings, packed advanced screenings here in Hong Kong made tons of money in, in, in Taiwan already. So this is something that you definitely want to look out for. Um, a special retrospective, directors in focus this year is um, two sixth-generation Chinese directors, uh, Wang Xiaoshui and Lou Ye. Uh, their latest film supposedly will be showing, even though they haven't started uh, selling tickets due to um, some possible scheduling changes. Uh, both Love and Bruises and Eleven Flowers, which were in... Venice and Toronto, respectively, will be showing, as well as um, a bunch of their older films. I have not 
seen many of these films, so I think I'm gonna catch a few myself. Um, also, um, a retrospective of Nikatsu films from by the Nikatsu uh, Studio, a very famous studio in Japan. They're celebrating the hundredth anniversary next year, so they're doing a world tour, actually visiting one festival after another, um, dropping off, I guess, ten of their ten films from their um, very very long history. I wrote the entire section, the booklet, so I <laughs> know these films fairly well now. Uh, you have the Yoon films. Um, from the 50s, uh, kind of the post-war generation films about rebellious youths. You have um, at least two of their free action films, um, free gangster action films, including the controversial Branded to Kill, which notoriously got its director fired from the studio, uh, and also blacklisted in the industry, and also at least two pink films, um, Lovers Are Wet, which is actually named uh, by Japan's uh, most well-regarded cinema magazine as one of the best Japanese films made in the 20th century and uh, a very interesting um, film on prostitution called The Oldest Profession. Uh, Ticketing has already started. Uh, The festival starts on October 18th to November 8th, even though um, they'll also do an extra week of nightly Danikatsu screenings. So uh, if you're in Hong Kong around that time, uh, definitely check it out. And uh, Paul will have the link for the festival on the the page later on. So that's uh, right. Um, yeah. But if you're gonna get tickets, you gotta get them now. From what I hear, most of the good yeah, shows all the are big already popular sold ones out. Are sold out. That's right. All the popular ones are sold out. But the Nikatsu program, which is uh, is sadly mostly empty so far, I guess that's good for us. Uh, bad for the festival. But definitely try and catch some of these. Um, lots of interesting choices. Even though, actually, just a little hint. The most popular ones, most of the most popular ones, still get theatrical releases. So why not go catch something that you might not be able to catch outside the festival? So say something like the Nikatsu stuff or even the New Talent Award stuff. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, definitely try and give it a chance. All right. Uh, up first for eScreen this week, we've got the period film 1911. Uh, starring Jackie Chan, also partially directed by Jackie Chan and partially produced by Jackie Chan and Lee Bingbing, among other people. Um, the film, how to, how, to, how to really put this, it's a historical piece, so it follows the same format as uh, prior historical films, especially those coming from Han Sanpeng, um, such as The Founding of a Republic, Beginning of a Great Revival, and because of that, it's very disjointed. Um, it jumps around from uh, place to place. It introduces you to new characters. It throws up subtitles on the screen of dates, you know, famous battles. Um, people who will be familiar to some people if you know Chinese history, and you'll have no idea who they are if you don't. Um, but primarily, the story is centered on um, two core people, one being um, the the world-renowned and famous, especially in the West, Sun Yat-sen, Dr. Sun Yat-sen. Um, but probably less known was his partner, um, sort of sort of his right-hand man in establishing the, the KMT, the Kuomintang, and that is uh, Huang Xing. And that is the role Jackie Chan plays here. Um, whereas Sun Yat-sen was sort of the idea man and the diplomat, the guy, he, you know, he was a doctor by trade, and he was... A, a very good speaker had some charisma with him, you know, when he'd get up and talk and he could raise funds. And he spent a lot of time going overseas to overseas Chinese communities and trying to generate support for 
the nationalist movement, um, trying to get rid of the last dynasty, which at that time, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, was the Qing dynasty. Uh, the Qing, if you know anything about Chinese history, they were not actual Han Chinese. They were Manchurians who had come in and had dominated for a, a number of years. And there were, there were for a long time, there were re rebellions to return to the prior di dynasty, the Ming dynasty. Um, but none of them had ever been successful until they started getting encroached on uh, by the colonial powers. And then that led to a weakening of China, and eventually some of the distant dissident groups um, felt that they should learn from the West and they should follow Western practices. And so that sort of leads people like Sun Yat-sen um, and, and his contemporaries to forming uh, these groups. So he, he, he's the founder of the Kuomintang, and um, Huang Xing was his partner for all intents and purposes. So the film splits off from time to time. Sometimes you're following Sun Yat-sen in his overseas trips and in his meetings with officials and trying to block business deals and funding for the Qing government uh, that's coming from Europe. And other times you're following around Jackie Chan from battlefield to battlefield. Um, he's sort of in the grunt role, if you will, but he is in a leadership position. Uh, he takes his fight out to the front lines. Um, Huang Xing you know, historically is kind of an interesting character. Uh, he was called the Eight-Fingered General because he lost, uh, you know, parts of his fingers in battles. And that's one of the scenes that we actually see happening, although I have no idea uh, how credible it is historically. You know, it's it's an action sequence, but I don't know if it was that particular battle. Um, I wasn't that interested to actually go back and try and verify any hmm. of these minor details. And, and And that's kind of the nature of the film. It follows these two men... Um, through key parts of their lives, but it's very, very disjointed. Occasionally it jumps over to some of the other players, some of the players you've already seen, if you've watched some of the earlier films like uh, Beginning of the Great Revival or Founding of a Republic. Well, not Founding of a Republic so much, but definitely Beginning of the Great Revival. You've got uh, Yuan Shikai here and uh, some, some of the other generals who are active in this period. Um, but, uh, yeah, primarily it's just too disjointed to follow really as a narrative um especially if you don't know any of who these people are it 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 jumps around you're introduced to characters and then suddenly those characters are gone you don't know what happens to them unless you're willing to go and do some historical digging which i don't think should be the responsibility of a general audience for a film that they're paying for you know if, if you're making a documentary okay sure uh, showing it to some kids at school, yeah, you know, make them go and do some research and do some digging. Uh, but not a general audience who's just paid to come and watch your film. Um, in in terms of criticisms, there's a lot. Uh, subtitles, in the beginning, they throw up a bunch of subtitles to try and get you up to speed. Um, there are subtitles in both English and Chinese. They're very small, hard to read. Um, it, also the, white on white. Yeah, white on yeah. white. So it's just... And red, red on dark colors in some places too. Just not very well uh, designed and put together. The film opens with a, with an interesting focus. That it focuses on a, a side character called um, uh, Q Jin, who is, I guess, the title character of the upcoming um, Woman the Knight, Yao film. Woman Knight of Mirror Lake, right? Which is coming out in a couple weeks. Um, so there's a lot of focus on this period, primarily because it's the 100th anniversary of stuff right 
the Shanghai Revolution. Yeah, the beginning of. And, and it's also this is Jackie's one hundredth film. Um, Coincidentally, yeah, yes, sure. I'm not sure if he's going to be very happy with this being his hundredth film. I'm, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. He is the general director of the. Remember, he's the total direct. He's the uh, guy in charge essentially. So it is his yeah. film. Well, Li Zhang yeah. is also credited with direction. Yes. Um, but he, Jackie is the producer, and um, he is the the the, the star when uh, Sun Yat-sen is not on screen. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's basically just that splitting off between these two characters and sometimes jumping over to the opposite side to see what they're, they're doing. Really poor narrative jumps. Um, and some stuff just never gets explained. For example, uh, at one point... Um, Jackie Chan's character Huang Sheng is trapped in this in this temple. Um, he they've led an assault on the governor's mansion and and uh, more troops reinforcements have come in and Jackie I guess is the only one left and he's locked himself he's barricaded himself in this temple and they've got a cannon out on the street and they're shooting the cannon at the temple and basically blowing it to shreds and then later he just shows up somewhere and he's hmm. okay. Um, how he got away, they never really explain. Uh, it's just, it's just really some, 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 some really, it seems like stuff was cut out maybe. Yes. And, and they, you know, maybe they had something there and they, it wasn't working or it was done badly. Um, Jackie himself is dubbed. It's not him doing the dubbing. I think I was pretty sure that wasn't his voice. Definitely not. And, um, it's just, it sounds terrible. Uh, he does get a typical Jackie action sequence for like, I want to say 30 seconds um, in the last part of the film. So you do get a chance to see him. But the rest of the time, it's this is more like, what was that movie he did, that serious one? Um, police? A crime crime, crime story. story, yeah. Yes. Um, his, his attempt at doing a serious kind of non-action, kung fu action role um, back in, in the 80s, back in the 90s, I think. 90s, yes. Um, and so this film is kind of like that. He's trying to do it very seriously. And, and for the most part, I mean, he's okay. It's just that the, the structure is just really, really off. There are a lot of people absent, too. For example, um, Sun Yat-sen's wife, Song Ling Ling, who was very active as well, um, f- for the most part, from what I've read in this period. And she was constantly with her husband, and um, we, we never really see her at all. Uh, there's a romance angle here between Jackie Chan's character and Lee Bing Bing's character that I never really felt the connection to. Uh, it just kind of gets lost. Um, but the real story, right, is this guy named Homer Lee. <laughs> and it's spelled L-E-A. <clears throat> and this guy, I don't know who the actor was that they got. I forgot to get his name. But he kind of looks like a dopey Ben Stiller. <laughs> um, and he's just one of the worst actors you could have picked, which is a shame because as I read up on this character, Homer Lee, if you do a search, uh, his name's H-O-M-E-R, like Homer Simpson, uh, and then L-E-A, and you can find find out some information on him about Wikipedia, he's a really interesting character. He's basically described as an adventurer and a writer, um, and he did actually serve as an advisor to Dr. Sun Yat-sen, um, and, but the problem was, was he was a hunchback. He had been dropped as a baby. Uh, and it had caused him to, you know, uh, have a deformity. Uh, he was kind of short, only five foot and three inches. And they never really explain that in the film. You, 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 they do show it in one scene, but 
you're not sure if he got hurt or, or what exactly happened because it's not something they sort of carry through in the scenes that he's in. Um, but it, I mean, he sounds like a really interesting guy. I'd love to see a movie about this guy, just not with the actor that they got to play him. Um, because you know, he seemed to have a very interesting life. He got involved with the Chinese community first in Chinatown, and then he ended up meeting people, um, through other, you know, sort of, uh, active diplomats and things. And, eventually hooking up with the Dr. Sun Yat-sen and, and getting involved in uh, some of the revolution. Uh, just not enough focus on him, and the focus that is there really kind of make, makes him look dopey. I don't know if that's intentional or they just thought, oh, we'll just throw any foreigner in here and it'll automatically give some extra credibility to our film, because uh, it, it really doesn't. And, and even Sun Yat-sen, in some cases, comes across as a bit comedic unintentionally, there's, for example, a scene where he's trying to negotiate. He's in, I think, in Britain, and he's trying to negotiate with these bankers to get them to cut off funding to the Qing dynasty because if if Europe gives funding to the Qing dynasty, they're going to use that funding. It's basically a loan, a mortgage on the Chinese rail system. So if they get the money, they're going to use the money to buy guns and weapons and put down the nationalist uh, rebellion. And so... Dr. Sun is over there, and he's trying to convince me. He's basically cutting up this piece of meat with a scalpel that he has in his coat, because he is a doctor. Every, you know, every doctor carries a scalpel around, right? <laughs> um, so he's cutting up this piece of meat, and he goes, you know, oh, here, here's this section, and, and here, here's Hong Kong, and here, here's, uh, you know, here, here, here's, uh, you know, Shantong. And um, it's just kind of really weird and creepy and just doesn't come across as the Sun Yat-sen you're sort of used to hearing about and, and, and seeing about. And I don't know if it was the writing was the problem or the actor himself was the problem. I don't think it was really the actor's fault. I just think it was the way things kind of were slopped together. Um, so really not a good film. I'd say in terms of the, the films that have been in this so-called, you know, docudrama genre, that this is the worst one by far. And I, and I, I hate saying that because I do really like Jackie Chan. You know, I usually look forward to his films, um, except Robbie Hood. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of disappointed. And and I, I like history. I'm a history buff, so uh, I'd say skip it. You know, flee it. Uh, don't bother to see it. I don't blame you, Kevin. What do you say? Yeah, I don't dare to call it the worst one because there's so many propaganda films out there this year that we haven't seen from China. Um, there's one with Zhou Dongyu, and I guess Zhou Dongyu doesn't make crap, so I shouldn't say that. It's bad. Um, and a few more. There's one that's notorious for apparently having government officials in it. Um, there's another Sun Yat-sen movie that's came, that came out starring Tian Liang from uh, I Love Wang Chun. Hmm. Um, so, so I don't want to say whether it's the worst one or not, but this one is pretty bad. Um, seriously, how many of these films do we really need? They overlap for crying out loud. Like you were saying, um, a woman of night of uh, what? The woman night of Mirror Lake. Lake yeah. Um, uh, you have uh, we we can do a whole marathon of this, like of these movies. We start with Bodyguards and Assassin, then Road to Dawn, and then we can do um, cut straight into Woman Lake even before Bodyguards and Assassin, maybe because we need Herman Yao to kick it off. Um, then you can do nineteen eleven, uh, which jumps all over the place, so it's hard to do this chronologically. And then we can throw in um, somewhere in the middle. I can probably throw in a uh, beginning of Great Revival. Um, what else can we throw in? 
another movie. Yeah. Um, Founding of a Republic at the end. Founding of a Republic probably after that. And there's tons of war. We're putting like the first half hour of the assembly right in between <laughs> <laughs> between that. They all overlap for crying out loud. And I guess this is the way that they, they try to, how do I say, um, uh, solidify their, their the, the, the education of the Chinese kids. Yeah. Um, but seriously, how much how much more of these do we need? Um, you are right about the odd edits, Paul. Actually, this film, uh, a lot of rumors about this film being cut, um, savagely cut to please uh, government censors, which is why you never heard the phrase Kuomintang mm. brought out, which is also why you didn't see the um, Sun Yat-sen's wife. Um, and also, that's why you see a lot of jump cuts. It's not avant-garde. It's not film school. It is just a censor cut. So um, very odd very odd cuts in it, and looks like looks like it will come. It confirms the government mandated cuts that's been rumored around Weibo. Mm. Um, it looks real nice. Uh, apparently, the film had over 100 million yuan for production. Um, it's a big, big film. A lot of explosions. The war scene look nice, but um, the whole film, like you said, there's no structure to it. It's uh, they have uh, according to the to the by Baidu page, the the film is supposed to be told in chapters. Um, the whole film has four or five chapters, which you can kind of see in certain spots, but there's no, but it just kind of goes through it really in a clumsy way that you don't really see this. Um, like most of these propaganda films, there's a lot of talking and a lot of talking and a lot of talking and then a lot of talking and then, you know, Jackie Chan blows some stuff up and then there's a lot of talking. Only really the history buffs can catch up. I'm not a history buff and I seriously, I can't understand why anyone did what they do in the movie. Um, I don't understand what was going on. I know that they're doing something. They're talking about doing things, but like you said, they they're really assuming that these people already know what's going on. Um, which I think will hurt overseas sale because I don't. Not even everyone in China would probably know a lot of these history. Uh, let alone you know someone in in say say um America or someone say in Canada or in UK or in Germany, whatever. Um, doesn't really work that way. Um. A lot of, I guess, a lot of Chinese people. They, I talked to, I talked to them when Founding Republic came out. I said I didn't get what was going on in the movie. I don't really like it. I don't know what. I don't like the movie because so much talking. And then their 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 argument is that it's because I don't know the history, which should, like you said, should not be an excuse. Yeah, they're supposed. It's the job of the filmmakers to make the history engaging, instead of just throwing at us like regurgitating history. And that's yeah. really. I'll, the, I'll the say failure. this of the films that have come to Hong Kong so far, Founding of a Republic stands, in, in my book, head and shoulders above any of the others because it is that same format, but at least the way they do transitions from, you know, uh, scene to scene and the introduction of characters that kind of whiz by, there is a sense of kind of narrative flow. Mm. And, you know, yeah, it's not still not going to make a whole lot of sense to people who don't know the history um, but that one, for me, made the most sense of all the ones to date. I, I still think uh, Beginning of Great Revival is one of the better ones because I'm not saying it's a good film, and I would never say because it's about the Communist Party, but with all the genre that it jumps around, it, it's kind of entertaining in its own crazy, nutty way. Yeah. Uh, not because of the story itself, but because of the film, the nutty filmmaking. Um like I said earlier, I think I'm not sure if the cuts really affected it, but Jackie Chan is kind of like a supporting character in his own movie. Uh, it makes sense that Sun Yat-sen is the is the main character, and obviously, you know, Jackie would never be <laughs> convincing a Sun Yat-sen, especially when you've casted an actor who's played Sun Yat-sen pretty much 
for the third or fourth time already. So he knows uh, Winston Chow knows the role very well, and he's fine as 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 um, even though he's badly dubbed, especially in English. He was in the wedding banquet, so we all know that he speaks English. But it's very strange that he's dubbed even in English here. Anyway, Jackie Chan becomes a supporting character. He just sort of shows up once in a while, fight, and then he kind of acts us as um, Sun Yat-sen's counselor in points uh, towards the second half of the film. Um, despite that, he still has a fight, which makes no sense um, because, yeah, he just sort of the film is just sort of added in because I guess because uh, Jackie Chan is the director of the film, or he's the guy in charge, so he he decided to you know I can't my audience will want to fight, so he just threw in a fight in there. And there's also a Titanic-style romantic reunion with him and Sun Yat-sen on the deck of a ship, which made no sense. Um, and then, of course, it, it, yeah, they, 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 they're at the opposite end of a, of a deck, and then they walk towards each other with a steady cam following each side, and they're run, almost running at each other, and then they swap clothes. I'm not kidding. It's like the end of a soccer match. <laughs> they swap clothes. Uh, but we don't get to see the swapping of the clothes. They're taking the clothes off, and they say, you know, they already have the other clothes on, which is very strange. I guess too much gayness, so they, they had to cut it. Um, very misguided direction. Uh, like I said, it's all just a lot of noise, and the whole thing has no structure. There's no pacing. It's a crushing bore of a film, I think. Uh, the art direction is really unconvincing. Um, you can see it. They, used, they reused the same room at least four or five times in the film acting as far, uh, locations in four or five different countries. And also, uh, Tim Young's, um, he, he was sitting next to me, and I kept noticing that they keep using the same chairs, whether it's like an, a library in America or the uh, uh, Yun Shikai's house or next thing you know where uh, Sun Yat-sen is meeting. Every time the, ch- the same chairs always come up, same style. Uh, so you know they're reusing these stuff. Um, also, again, under the misguided direction part, Empress Dowager, played by Joe Chen, um, turns into a sobbing mess. Which, I'm sorry, a sobbing Empress Dowager? Only a communist film can make up that crap. Well, um, it, to be fair, and, and I can quote from Wikipedia, which, you know, ooh. academics should never do, uh, <laughs> but it's the only source I have in front of me right now. There is some debate about yeah. her. I mean, d- traditionally, most people, probably myself included, support that she was kind of like this you know, uh, dragon lady who seized power and the throne and, and, you know, basically was, was very, very powerful. But, um, according to this, to this one article, it says historians from both the Kuomintang and communist backgrounds have generally per- portrayed her as a despot and villain responsible for the fall of the Qing dynasty. But in recent years, other historians have suggested that she was a scapegoat for problems beyond her control a leader no more ruthless than the others, and an effective, if reluctant, reformer in the past years of her life. Um, you know, I can... I'm, I, again, I, from what, the books I've read, they've never really related this aspect of her to me. Because um, I'm, I'm much more used to re- reading the way that it mentions the Kuomintang and the communist backgrounds portray her. But I th- can kind of see that other side that's being mentioned here portrayed in this film a little bit things um, i can buy empress dowager crying but i can't buy is that she's sobbing in front of her advisors i mean no especially well, someone like empress yeah, dowager yes you know, and no. I mean, in, it, in some cases it seemed like more like she was doing it to manipulate them maybe you know it's like she wasn't mm-hmm. quite getting her way and so she just broke out the tears and then suddenly they're all dot and they're bowing down and you know it's uh um i don't know it, it 
it, it did come across in a couple scenes like that. But, you know, the interesting thing, too, about her, it, that it's Joan Chen um, and that she's playing uh, Shisi here is that she, it's ironic because she was banned for being the director of Shushu. Ah, but um, before that, she was uh, she was actually in in uh, very active in in uh, communist uh, propaganda. Films. Yeah, she was she was active. She's you know been active in Chinese films for a long time. She was in uh, she was what's his name Brian Brown's lover in Taipan. You know, in the founding of Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, she did the film Shushu the Sentdown Girl, and they had to f- smuggle the film uh, out of China because of its you know depiction of uh, mistreatment at the hands of. Uh, communist cadre members but uh and from what i had read she was since that time she's been banned uh, mm. from china so it's interesting to see her back and back playing the role of shishi i don't know i i think i can see what you mean about you know the the emperor savage solving as a way of kind of manipulating her advisors but um i mean that's again kind of a small section that kind of represents the whole movie. Just nothing kind of really convinces you from the art direction to the direction to, to um, like is it the cutting up the lamb and trying to convince people in a really bad English? You know the scene where a little girl in England walks up to Sun Yat-sen and says, "Doctor Soon, I heard that in China they bound women's feet. Is yeah. that true?" And Sun Yat-sen, "Yes, but they'll all change later." And the little girl says, "Oh, I see. Thank you." And then yeah, she runs it's, off. It's so, that kind of, and I'm quoting. I'm not even making it up. I was quoting. Yeah. Okay. The voice is made up, but it was quoting. But it's pretty close. The voice. Yes. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, that really, it, you know, it's many scenes, little bits of failure like that, and the film is a resounding failure. It's a very noble effort. It looks very pretty. It's it's very, um, you know, the budget looks big and you know, it shows on screen and. Um, but ultimately, you know, we know that it's Jackie Chan trying to suck up to the communist government, uh, trying to suck up to the Chinese audience. And he's done that for the last five, ten years. He's also dragged his son down with him, uh, which is true. Uh, not only based on his works, their works, and but based on, you know, hearsay. Um, and, you know, and it shows in the closing subtitles of the film. Closing subtitles essentially suggest that the Xinhai Revolution did not really accomplish much. But... Uh, it, 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 China was under chaos until the communist government took over and rejuvenated China. So that kind of tells you uh, who Jackie is trying to please. Um, so therefore, my final rating uh, is that even Jackie Chan fans should really flee this one. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because I really liked his last movie. Little Big Soldier? Oh, yeah, yeah that was a fine film. Yes. But um, but that was that film wasn't Jackie trying to suck up the government, and this one is. So you know that we are, we, or the audience that are listening to us, uh, you know, provide that we are banned in China, which is great, um, <laughs> that, that, that we're not, and you guys are not the intended audience, so might as well not watch it. Our second film this week for East Screen the much-anticipated, at least by me, uh, film from director Ching Siu-tong, that is The Sorcerer and the White Snake. So this is a remake of um, the classic story. I, I, it's, been, it's, it's portrayed in Chinese opera, and it's been portrayed in other forms. I've actually got a very nice uh, art book um, that tells this story, too. I'm, is, it, is it part of the series that comes from, you know, the Strange Tales the Lao Zai, yeah. Lao Zai thing. I'm not entirely sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. It does yeah. have that kind of because it, it, I mean, it yes. does feel it does have that kind of a feel. Um, right. uh, basically, it tells the story 
of a snake spirit that has been training for so many years that uh, she has uh, enhanced powers and she can take on human form. And uh, she falls in love. She's played by, uh, her name is Shushu, uh, Susu, excuse me, and she's played by uh, Eva Huang. And she falls in love for a young uh, herbal doctor named uh, Xu Shan, played by uh, TVB's own Raymond Lam. And she has a kind of sort of a sister, uh, a sister in arms, if you will, more than anything else, called Ching Ching, uh, who is a green snake who's not quite as powerful because uh, she's a little bit younger, but she can assume human form for a little while. So when Shusu falls in love, she decides she's going to go off and enter into uh, the human realm and try and, you know, uh, meet up with Shushan and see if he's really a noble man. Uh, and if he is, she wants to get married and spend her life with him. Uh, unfortunately, her plan is kind of, uh, has a snag thrown into it because um, there happens to be the head abbot of the Golden Mountain Monastery, and this is played by Jet Li. Um, the character's name is Fa Hoi. And he believes that spirits should stay in the spirit world and they should not get involved in the affairs of men because it can only lead to, um, you know, death and badness and tragedy. So he warns Shushu that she should leave and go back to her own realm. And if she doesn't, bad things are going to happen. And eventually they do because the two, uh, the two characters, Jet Li and Eva Huang's characters, um, Come, come to blows, we might say, and that's where the hilarity ensues. <laughs> um, so that sets up the basis for the story. So it, it, it's much like a Chinese ghost story or some of the, uh, you know, a painted skin where it's about love existing between, you know, characters from two different worlds. Um, but what can I say? OMFG. <laughs> Who broke out the PS2 again? Um, you know... The film, the, look, the film is not terrible. Um, I, I, I kind of liked it. I think I liked it better than everybody else who saw it. Uh, than the, you know that. But the problem is, is the effects are just so bad that they really ruin the experience. Um, in some cases, it's so heavily reliant on effects and, and generating the snakes that you can see frame rates stutter. Mm. Right? Um, so I, I really felt bad for Cheng Xiu Tong. He's one of... You know, he's he's an awesome action director. He's made Hong Kong films what they are. Um, I remember I went to the screening of, um, uh, what was it, A Hero. And he did the, uh, he did the action direction for, for that film. And I got a chance to, you know, you know at, at that screening, Maggie Chung was there and um, uh, Tony Lung was there. And, you know, the other director was there. And... You know, they were all meeting people after the screening and, you know, and, and everything. I, the only person I wanted to meet was Ching Siu Tong. And I asked him a question and, and I got a chance to take a picture with him. And that was like the greatest experience. I didn't care about Tony Long. I didn't care about Maggie, Maggie Chung. I wanted to be, uh, you know, just have, have a chance to say hi and, and, you know, what an influence his films had had on me growing up and watching them. Um, I, I feel really bad for him uh, because I got to imagine, you know, he, he did all that he needed to do he shot his green screen footage and he sent this stuff off and i don't know where he sent it to but i'm telling you they sent it to some kid's garage and he hooked up the ps2 to a nintendo 64 
and that was all the processing power they had because <laughs> it's just terrible and i gotta imagine you know that this stuff came back and his jaw just like dropping um because it's just bad it's really really bad um in terms of the film itself, um, to compare it with Green Snake, it really lacks a lot of the fun and a lot of the eroticism. It's really toned down in that aspect. If you've seen the original Green Snake, you know that, you know, Maggie Chung was kind of young and up and coming. Uh, she is very much uh, the the lively spirit of that film. In this character, in, in this case, that character is played by Charlene Choi, who just brings none of that to the role. And I'd have to say, if I was disappointed in any of the characters, I was mostly disappointed in hers, because she's basically kind of just being Charlene again. Um, but most of the characters themselves are just too clean cut, um, especially Raymond Lamb. Raymond Lamb's just playing another version of the best man ever that he typically plays. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's he's too perfect. The The original character in Greensnake, you'll, if you've seen it, you'll remember, he was flawed. Um, at uh, you know, there are a few times when when the Green Snake comes on to his his character after he's married to White Snake in in that film, and there's this tension. You know, is is he going to cheat? Is he not going to cheat? None of that's here. Um, so I, I just never really got into Charlene. Raymond Lamb was just Raymond Lamb, you know, doing his chalk chalk chalk, you know, at the camera kind of a thing. Yeah, it was like it was like you know you know Austin Austin Powers three with the mo. Yeah. Every time Raymond Lamb goes out, it's like, chalk. Yeah. Chalk. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, there's not a lot there. Um, there There is a demon hunting plot that goes on where um, it starts off with uh, Jet Li and his apprentice, uh, Fahoy and his apprentice, going after demons. Um, so first they go after the this ice harpy in a very short cameo by Vivian Su. Um, then there's this thing with bat demons and then later there's fox demons, and those are kind of fun, and the effects there, not too bad, uh, not too great, but when things really go to heck is at the end, when you've got these giant snake battles, and, you know, they're they're out in the ocean, and they're, they're bashing against temple doors, and it really looks like, you know, something that I played back in the 1990s, um, it's it's just really bad. Uh, Tim, our friend friend of the show, Tim Youngs, he commented he didn't like the snakes, and he particularly didn't like White Snake because she was. And towards the end, basically, what happens is um, Raymond Lamb's character gets accosted by the monks. Uh, he he runs into a problem, and so White Snake thinks that her husband is being held, and it just doesn't. You know, she, she's trying to save him, but she's killing a lot of people in the process. And he said he didn't like that fact, you know, that that she was killing all these people for love, basically. Um, I didn't have that much of a problem because the way I see it, she is still a snake spirit. And she doesn't really understand the emotions and the concepts so much. So I could see, you know, her basically becoming more animalistic in wanting wanting to just simply get at the one she loves. Um so I didn't have as much of a problem with that part of it as, as he did. My problem was more with the green snake, as I mentioned. Um, the, the other problem, too, is that there's no realization by the monk character, the abbot, Fahoy. In the original, um, there's a lot of... He has a lot of problems in, in, in dealing with his, his own sort of foibles and his own lust. And very early in, in the original film, he captures this demon spirit. But then he realizes that that... that, that demon spirit he captured wasn't really evil 
And should he have captured it? Is he really doing the right thing or the wrong thing? And there's a little bit of that here, but not a whole lot. And ultimately, it comes across, the message comes across is, is that, you know, he's the authority and the, the authority is always right. Um, so very disappointing. Uh, I'd have to say, at the most, you're going to want to TV it, be prepared for really bad special effects, and only watch it after you've watched Green Snake. Hmm. Yeah. Kevin, take it away. Well, my, my first question is, why did the snakes have breasts? I was saying, because the way they designed the, the snakes is that they have their heads, right? And then somehow it kind of merges into a snake body. But yeah. for some reason, the snakes have breasts. <laughs> it's just, it, it is something and, that... And it appeared I, to be significantly larger than yeah, what they should I'm have been. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Charlene does, is not that uh, talented. Um, and yeah, but that snake effect was really off for me. Um, Cheng Siu Tong... Uh, well, okay, first, a context for the film. Like the Warring States, uh, executive producer Yang Zi, who uh, was also the director of Chase Our Love, which makes this his second cinema crime in one year, mm. um, is rumored uh, to be Eva Huan's boyfriend. So uh, that's how she got the movie. Uh, so, yeah, it's the same thing. Again, this is why Eva Huan... Well, and I'll be honest, who, she, she wasn't terrible. She was fine, I thought. The character isn't even written to be have that much depth, uh, you know. Um, someone commented to me today on Twitter that you know Stephen Chow was smart to have her not say one word in Kung Fu. So, because seriously, I don't think this girl is nothing like Kitty Jung. Kitty Jung is a very talented actress, and you can see easily why Stephen Chow picked her, but underused her in in, in CJ Seven. But Eva Huan here is just she has no she it, especially after Green Snake, knowing that Maggie who who played the White Snake in in, in Green Snake. I'm sorry, uh, Joey Wong. Yeah. Just, Joey Wan, Eva Juan, Joey Wan, <laughs> Eva Juan. Should well, I do it again? You know, no, I, Joey Wan, Maggie Wan. Chung, Charlene Choi, Maggie exactly, Chung. Exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> there you go. It It's this really sad state of situation where apparently being some boss's girlfriend all man means you get a 180 million yuan movie. In Hong Kong, at least they kept the budget, crying <laughs> out loud. Um, and it's, like I said, I feel sorry for Chin, Chin Siu Tong. Uh, Chin Siu Tong is mainly an action director. He's not a CGI director. He's not meant for movies like this. He has no way to work around movies like this. The action stuff that Jet Li does in the film is fine, but but there's no way you can use Cheng Siu Tong's um, talent to, to... Essentially, from like 15 minutes on, I was... Well, see, I, 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 I can't really blame him for that. You know, it's, no, it's, it's not the, a, it's not the problem here. of what Jet Li's doing against these, you know, basically, when he's doing it against these invisible things... It's the final product. I mean, mm-hmm. I was th- I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, go get the guys who did Dragon Wars or or, or what is it, D War, or whatever it was called from Korea. You know, they could be the same guys. <laughs> uh, no, there's no way. I mean, because you know that. And how long ago was that film? And that's that's already like a thousand times better than what they were doing here. Um, yeah, just sorry. No, and and to think, no, you're right. To think this movie costs 180 million yuan. It only costs 30 million less than Shaolin, and they rebuilt the damn temple (laughs) for Shaolin. So where did all that money go to? Um, And probably, you know, probably Jet Li, who already took a took a took a actually a a lower salary than usual as a as a favor. Um, But you're right. It's it all went to Raymond Lam. I guess so. But you know, again, Ching Siu Tong is not. He got a million dollars per chalk. 
<laughs> Every chalk means something. Um, no, it's just Ching Su Tong. It's not even his fault because he was he he did his best, and I think the action stuff is better than the romance. And he's a um, he's a live action action not to be redundant action director, and he does practical effects and he does choreography, not not gently for his CGI, yeah. but he does his best here. Um, even though it's really not you know what you should do. Um, and then the final product is ultimately. Feels like two different movies merging into one halfway. It's Jet Li versus CGI, and then you have a little bit of romance on the side. It's like a little side dish. Uh, at best, a mashed potato. Um, <laughs> maybe two, two, two scoops of mashed potato just to be extra heavy. Yeah, with um, no sour cream. Yes, no sour cream. Uh, but then the movie, it feels like it's made to be to have promotional slogans. You know, it feels like it's made to be pitched at a meeting. Um, we have Jet Li. We have CGI. We have uh, a, a touching romance with lots of monologuing, but nothing. None of it is really convincing. Uh, everything is sort of pats the running time. Um, you have you have a, about an hour of story that's really dragged out to ninety minutes because of all these loving looks and monologues between Raymond Lamb and an Evil Juan. And I just kept waiting. Like, get on with it. Get on with it. Hey, get on with it. But you know, apparently, the Chinese commercial audience really love monologuing, especially in romance. Uh, but there's not a shred of originality in the writing. It's just, you know, it sounds like something that I probably heard last year at my brother's wedding. You know, it's like wedding vows, but written really badly. But apparently Chinese audience love it. They've been reciting some of it on Weibo, and I have no idea why. It's because they really have not a shred of originality in writing. Um, I was about to say, Eva Huan, again, not no gr- no grab gr- gravitas um, whatsoever as a lead actress. Um, her character's really lacks depth, especially after hearing what you said about Green Snake. I haven't seen Green Snake, but after what you said about what's in the original film, it just makes this film even worse because yeah. it seems like it took out all you the know, depth. To, to be fair, Green Snake, effects-wise, does have its problems because they, the, they do it with practical effects. Right. But it doesn't detract from that film anywhere near as much as it detracts from this film. And it's the characters that really make it fun. But here, the characters are just kind of so flat it's just you know you, you keep wondering i mean when when the most uppity character in the film is the cg mouse <laughs> it it you know it's just like what, what are they doing where where are they going with this um yeah. and i you know I, I was i was looking forward to it and what can we say no and the talking animals uh it's cute but i'm not even sure if it belongs in this movie there's like a family friendly version Yes. of the story yes. in a way it's, it's way too clean cut um, like you said you know, Raymond Lamb best man ever but he has his character it, it's all very stupid um, I hate them like a, for lack of a better word very stupid um, it, however Charlene I thought Charlene was okay um, because of her little silly love story with uh, Wan Zhang who plays um, Jet Li's kind of sidekick disciple who gets turned into um uh, a demon and of course has the you know identity crisis or something um her little his little romance with with charlene is okay it's cute um i would say it's actually the best plot of the three stories going on in the movie uh jetly i think he's only in the movie so much because he's jetly his by the story you know by the stand, story standard he shouldn't be in the movie until 45 minutes in yeah. But you know he's in it from the beginning. You have um, the gratuitous cameos. Uh, well, in some of the scenes, like the first scene where he confronts uh, uh, Susu, Ice Harpy, right? Yeah, Evil Huang. It, they destroy an entire block. 
Right. You know, they, it's like they have this standoff and then suddenly it's like boom, 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 boom. And then he says, I think I need to talk to you <laughs> about your relationship <laughs> with your husband. You know, it's yeah. like what you couldn't start off with that. You had to level the city block first. Yeah, I was I was waiting for like the word when they pan back and then some guy comes back and says, like, "Oh my god, my house! What <laughs> <laughs> my house? Who did this? Who did this?" Yeah, but yeah, it, it was just such a ridiculous um uh, film. There's no fun. Um, I guess the the talking animal stuff. There's a scene where, um, uh, the white snake has to convince her her animal demon family to 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 play her family and there's like a bunch of cameos there you have Zhang Wu, you have Miriam Yuan, um Chairman Toe for no reason. Um and um that's cute but you know the whole movie is just really a lot of special effects and and even worse a really padded out romance that's not really that convincing. Uh because you know apparently their their love is so pure but you know that there's gotta be some kind of animal instincts in it. There's some sex but you know, because it's made for China, they won't dirty it up. It's yeah. all clean, and there's no, it, and it's even less convincing now because it's so clean. Um, ultimately, I think about it, it makes me even like it less. I'm sorry, but yeah, uh, I meet actually in the middle of 10, 15 minutes in, I was telling my neighbor I really miss Empress and the Warriors. <laughs> Empress and the Warriors was fun, <laughs> ridiculous fun, uh, lots of practical action, and it has Donnie in the toga. Mm. Come on. Nothing can beat that, and and of course, um, um, Leon lies little little forest hut that was probably built by the, the 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 um, the thing in Star Wars, <laughs> like, the Ewoks. It's like, it's like yeah, it's like, it's like they took the Ewoks compound and just put Leon, Leon lie there, and yeah. then he comes in and says, "I built this." Yeah, and that was those were fun. Well, I had this, a lot of fun. I think they would have been a lot more daring with this film if they would have maybe not gone with uh, Eva Huang, but gone with uh, Jillian. Mm. And, you know, and have, have both the twins in the roles of the snakes. And then, you know. And then you have twins. Yeah. And and twins. and, and get back to that, you know, that, that sexiness and eroticness that the original had. But, and, you know, it's China. So, you know, there's no way that they could even, they can't even imply that they have sex. No, I know they, they can't. Um, yeah. But imagine, you know, Jillian as the green snake. Yeah. Uh, for those of, you know, you, again, I've got to loan you green snake so you can see it. Yes, but sir. having her as, as the green snake in the way that Maggie portrayed her, wow. I, I'm sure her agents would say, no, you can't do that. No, you, there's no way you can do that because of your... It's you too know. real. It's too close to reality, damn yeah. it. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I just saw Joey, Joey Wong a couple of months ago in um, uh, My Heart That Internal Rose. And she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, goddess. And then you have mm-hmm. Kwan. I'm sorry. I, I know that Yang Zi loves her very much and willing to spend 180 million yuan on a movie with her. But... I'm sorry, Joey Wong is so much. We should spend that money on Joey Wong. Um, yeah, uh, rented at best. I guess there's. Um, it's interesting for the comparison, but otherwise, if uh, I've done any sort of convincing at all in the last 10, 15 minutes, I rambled. Uh, I would say flee it.
All right, uh, West Screen Film this week, uh, Johnny English Reborn, the sequel to the uh, film of what year was it? Uh, 2000 and, I don't know, 2003. 2003, yeah, um, with Rowan Atkinson of Black Adder fame, speaking of snakes, right, um, among other things. So I didn't get a chance to get out and see this. I've There's so much out that I've wanted to see, and I just have no time. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate to you know, be able to do what we did last Saturday. Uh, but, but other than that, it's like, I, I've got no time. Uh, but mm. you saw it and the intrepid critic and film adventurer that you are, you're mm. going to take us through Johnny English Reborn. Sure. Um, actually this one, the first, I guess, English language review, cause it's only opened in Australia so far. It opens in the UK this weekend in America, uh, 28th of October. So we are getting, getting ahead, Paul, mm. We're getting ahead. Nice. Um, have you seen the first movie? Yes. Okay, so you know that the first film, um, it's kind of a, Johnny English. The whole idea is Mr. Bean is essentially in a James Bond parody. Yeah. Um, the problem, the thing about the first film is that it was co-written by two of the writers of the current James Bond franchise. So it's really interesting to see what they did with the franchise and how they played with the genre that that they made so much money from. Uh, and I, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but the problem is that. For this installment, they have the co-writer of Mr. Bean's Holiday mm. instead of um, instead of the two James Bond movies. So you know what. So to it's expect. more Bean than Bond, is what you're it saying. It is more Bean than Bond mm. um, because the first film, the idea is that because Johnny English, um, because of his screw up, he kills essentially everyone in his intelligence agency, and he has to become the spy because he's the only one left. So you can kind of buy this idea of this really incompetent guy as. Uh, a spy because he has to be um in johnny english reborn apparently he's become a real agent and people actually believe that he's a real agent and that's really where the problem starts uh the film starts out uh explaining that five years so sometime between the two movies uh johnny english botched the mission and he's been living in exile in tibet uh learning i guess learning how to be a martial artist or something trying to find himself but um Currently, uh, there's a new mission that that uh, apparently calls for him to go back. So he's he his his job is to stop um, an international a group of a trio of assassins before they kill the Chinese premier. Um, so then he's traveling around the world. He goes to Hong Kong for a little bit, uh, and and he's starting up trouble trying to find these these three these three um, secret assassins. Um, and that's essentially the story. He's given a new sidekick this time. Uh, last time, uh, the sidekick, the joke is that his sidekick is a much more competent spy than he is. Here, he's working with a, a newbie. His sidekick is a new guy, um, kind of a first-year agent, uh, also learning his learning the ropes. So that's um, that's essentially the mission. Um, like I said, the problem with this installment is that everyone seems to believe that Johnny English is a fine spy or something for whatever reason. Um, it's not convincing at all because you know that you know, Rowan Atkinson in the row that he's an incompetent spy and he shows throughout the film that he's an incompetent spy. Um, so if you like Rowan Atkinson acting dumb and that's really what you like about the first film, then I think you'll have a, you have a good time with it. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, people around me laughed a lot more than I did. I just kind of sat there. And there are some really good, good jokes. Um, there's a section where uh, Johnny English is running and try, is in a foot chase, but because based on what he learned from Tibet about being patient and all that, he kind of slowly takes his way um, 
while the 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 guy he's chasing is running around, he just he he just instead of jumping, he he picks up a ladder and climbs down. Uh, instead of jumping off the the skyscraper, he takes the elevator and then comes back out and he's chasing the guy. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, other stuff are funny, but. There's a, a lot more slapsticky stuff, you know, like uh, Johnny English saying something and he's backing up and backing up and then he accidentally falls into a hole. You know, that, that kind of gagged and that's really what fills the film. And if you like that kind of stuff, people did laugh at it, then you have a lot more fun than I did. Uh, the little section in Hong Kong, there's a little 10-minute section that's in the first act of the film that takes place in Hong Kong. Uh, it looks Hong Kong looks nice. They shot on top of the uh, Chunking Mansions um, and also around the harbor. So it's not it's um, not like Contagion where you're like out in this village and nobody's got any amenities. Well, no, no, and yeah, and and actually, you know, it looks really pretty. And actually, Contagion shot also a big portion of in, in the city as well. Um, you know, like like Contagion is a big budget production. So you know, Hong Kong of course is going to look like nice, but it 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 has almost no bearing on a plot they could have gone anywhere else almost uh and would have been you know the same idea uh they was trying macau for about two minutes uh again really points to the plot just to kind of make this production seem bigger you know globe trotting and whatnot um so he doesn't meet like a you know a, a local agent named uh kevin mandarin <laughs> no i don't think actually there's no as far as i know there's no local actors in the film there mm. is um I kind of like um, who's the James Bond villain who has who can throw the hat of uh, the shoe? No, the hat. Yeah, odd job. Odd, yeah, there's kind of like an odd job kind of villain who's like a cleaning lady here, and she's like a recurring <laughs> villain throughout the movie. But I'm not sure if she's a local actress or not. But she is like odd job, except except that she has a vacuum cleaner. Hmm. Her whole thing, and yeah, that's funny, right? Because that is actually a play on the genre, not based on Rowan Atkinson acting stupid. And you know, and that's that little bit's funny. Um, but you know, I'm not gonna criticize Warren Atkinson because he has carved his essentially most of his career playing this type of character like Mr. Bean uh, or here, and he does what he does best, and is a good physical comedian, and he's fine here. But that's really not enough for the film, especially when you're the one of the you know main creative creators of what you're doing. Um, again, I didn't like the sidekick as much here. Um, the whole new guy learning the ropes thing, I guess, in some movies would work better, but. In here, I thought the first film where you had he had the sidekick that's much more competent than him, and it was really likable. And I thought I, I really loved him actually in the first film, but um, the sidekick here isn't all that good. Um, the directing, the director actually Oliver Parker, he's better known for directing Oscar Wilde adaptations, hmm. which makes him, him him doing this film even more odd. Um, all he does really is step back and then let Atkinson do his job. He doesn't really direct the action much. He's not really good action director. Um, even though there's a little, there's more action scenes in this in this installment. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, the first one had John Malkovich as a French villain. Malkovich, you know, Malkovich. You know that's inspired casting. Here, there's no surprise inspired casting. The bad guys are inspiring. Um, yeah, Gillian Anderson playing his boss, but I didn't even recognize it was Gillian Anderson until after. Are we I talking X Files? Gillian Anderson. X Files. Gillian Anderson. Wow. Yeah, speaking of British accent and everything, but I didn't. I don't see the significance of having her. There's no inspiration in casting her hmm. in it um so you know it's really lacking that touch the touch that is not just a film about rowan atkinson doing his stupid shtick i mean if they're gonna that, have her in it they should make him like obsessed with ufos and something yeah i thought that would be hilarious yeah at least do something <laughs> with casting julian anderson i mean having john malkovich you know 
being a French villain. Actually, and the joke is, of course, he speaks fluent French, so he's perfect. Um, that that whole thing is hilarious. But here, just you know, nothing really jumps at me as being all that funny. So to me, really, it's a you know, if you like Rowan Atkinson, I wouldn't even try and watch this in the theater. It's a huge theatrical hit here because people really love Atkinson, and apparently, they really laughed at the film. Yeah, while, uh, Mr. Bean is so is always on TV over here, so. Right. So, but, you know, the scale, from judging from the quality of this film, I think it's a TV film at best, which would be appropriate, I guess, considering, you know, more Atkinson is Mr. Bean and blah, blah. Um, yeah, TV it at best, if you like Atkinson a lot, but otherwise, um, I don't think it's really worth catching in the cinemas. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, don't, yeah, lay this, lay this one to rest. Ha, that's my pun. Don't give your beans to Mr. Bean. <laughs> All right. Enough of the bean jokes. <laughs> 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 You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Comments. Wow, we got a ton. Of comments, oh, we yes. had a very interesting discussion going on, sort of picking up on some of the Netflix news that we were talking about. I want to say three uh, episodes ago, and so a lot of these comments went on under the uh, the next episode, which was at that time episode eighty four. And uh, let me just go through. I, I, there are just too many to read them all out, but I'll go through some of the key points in uh, in some of them. Uh, first comment started off from Tilan Lau. He was talking about the uh, the Magic Gourd, we were talking about that being available on DVD. Um, Sorry, I work in Asia. There is no Hong Kong DVD. He says it's released in Hong Kong DVD. I know it was released in cinemas here, but I've not seen it. Yeah, no, um, I worked at a this. I know, I know so that it's not available yeah. on Hong Kong DVD. Um, he says, I'm still considering on paying for High School Musical China. Um, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've seen it, and we're going to talk about it at some point, but I'm going to force Mr. Ma to watch it first. Yeah! Um, let's see. He says it's available to buy on rent, PlayStation Network, available for 99 cents. Yes, do that. Do that, and you will weep over all 99 of those cents now. Um, no, it's not that terrible, but it's pretty bad. Uh, he says, as for Lies Without Principle, um, he talked about... So we'd, mentioned about submitting a review do you think it's okay if i just type it out instead of recording it um you know that really depends on if you want it read um if it's like short paragraph or two i, don't, I won't mind to read it but if it's like a long you know regular full page critique it's probably better if you record it and send it in and then we can just play it um that'll work a lot better than me trying to read through a whole bunch of text that i haven't written um, Matt S. says, uh, I definitely didn't want my Netflix bill to go up, and the plan I chose to stick with was streaming. Uh, the selection obviously pales in comparison to the DVDs, of course, but for me, the instant gratification and convenience factors won out. You know, I think that's the boat that I would be in. Um, I think I'd, I'd much prefer the streaming, and for me, I, I look for the off-titles, um, I, you know, I want like some of the older stuff that I haven't seen in years, just want to sit down and, and, and click on something. And I know the big criticism is that they change stuff, they put stuff on and they take stuff off all the time. 
Um, but sometimes, you know, it's it's just nice to have that option to you know, think of an old movie from the 1980s or the 1960s or something, and you say, is it there? Yeah, it is. I want to watch it now. Um, G Song wrote in, and he said, thanks for another great show, guys. Just wanted to say I'm really concerned about Netflix separating disc from streaming. And uh, this has gotten huge, by the way, this this separation uh, into two two sections with Nexter, Nap, uh, no, I'm going to say Napster, living back in the 90s again, with <laughs> Netflix and Quickster, uh, as it were. There's been a lot of criticism about the name choice. There's a lot of criticism in the fact that you're going to have to basically have two different accounts and go, or go to two different websites and log in differently. Um, and a lot of that's still going on. Netflix has taken a pretty big hit in terms of their financials as a result because people are kind of leaving in droves be- because they're unhappy. Um, but G-Song says, I can get Netflix streaming on my iPhone, my iPod, my iPad, Western Digital TV, PS3, and it's built into the new TV I just bought last week. But guess what? I've never watched a single movie over their streaming service because to me, the selection around 20,000 titles is extremely limited. Um, you can never find popular new releases as they come... Um, you can never find popular new releases. They come out on DVD and Blu-ray, um, not even several months later for some of them. And selections of old classics are pretty lame, too. Um, I guess it really depends on what you're looking for. Um, as I've gone through, I used to be able to go through and look through their their library at one time, and they've since blocked that off to mm. international ISPs. I don't know why they did that, but um, at one time I could go in and I could browse and I could see what Hong Kong movies they had and, you know, other stuff that they had. Now I can't even do that. But sometimes I'd be in there and I'd see stuff, you know, that was streaming. And I'd go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'd click on that and start watching it now if I could. Um, but G-Song does say that, that their streaming quality is probably uh, is, is a bit spotty. Um, forget about portable devices. As David Lynch once said, if you watch a movie on a phone, you might think you've watched a movie, but you'll never have experienced the movie. Thank you. Yes. Um, you know, yes. I, I don't know. I think I'm in the opposite camp. Uh, I watch a lot of stuff on my iPad. I used to watch a lot of stuff on a portable media device, and it's enough for me. You know, um, the you know the we go watch movies at the Dynasty, right? I mean, uh, is the cinematic experience of watching 33D there uh, any better or worse than watching it on? You know, a portable device just for watching watching the movie. I mean, I'll the social better. experience is different, that's for sure. But mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of if you just want to get engaged in the narrative and watch it, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just my opinion, obviously. And and that's, you know, I often like to engage in stuff. I have two hours a day that I travel and I watch mm. tons of stuff. So mm. the thing is, I would never go small. I would never watch a movie on anything that's smaller than the iPad. Um, I, used to, I used to watch TV shows on a very small MP3 player. And for me, you know, it's fine. It's TV, you know, obviously made for any size screen. You know, that's why they call it the small screen. But for film, it is made to be watched on the big screen or at least something bigger than a small MP3 player or a phone. And the iPad, because I just hold it a little closer to my face, and to me, that's really the smallest I'll ever go. Hmm. Um, but uh, it would continue. Uh, did you already bring up the point about the streaming quality? Uh, G-Song did, yeah. He said yes. it's, it's kind of spotty. Yes, and that's the thing. Um, I don't trust wireless uh, because they they can be very spotty, yeah. especially when streaming a movie. Well, 3G, by... I think, is... It, you know, you don't you don't want to stream on 3G. I know everybody's talking about mm-hmm. 4G now, and uh, you know we'll have to wait and see what that kind of system is like. But yeah, I mean, I I, w- I wouldn't say streaming is something you should do on the go, mm-hmm. unless you've got 
you know, a dedicated Wi-Fi spot that you're going from. Yeah. The thing is, every time I think about uh, streaming over over internet, streaming movie on TV, I think about the internet connection back at my place, uh, my house in San Francisco. I remember, and even now, my mother still can't call me connected to Skype on the Wi-Fi because mm. internet connection can be so slow. Yeah. So. And you on the you you on the other hand are like rocking what six hundred MB or something two hundred baby fiber optic <laughs> but I still I do we have a router that can that can that can support that which I'm working on but my router only connects only only allows me to connect at one fourth that speed yeah. so there's a lot of these little limitations I don't I think in a few years when we can be more consistent about internet speeds and everyone can even even you Paul out in the village the boondocks can get. Uh, 200 bit, 200 uh, MBS, uh, mm-hmm. Mbps, um, fiber optic. Then I think we can really talk about okay, making the streaming thing um, work because then it's consistent. It work for everyone. It yeah. work for the general public. Yeah, and I, I, I have friends who've used yeah. it, and they say that you know the, the, it goes in and out, and it's not completely reliable. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's the wave of the future. I really do. I think that on demand uh, streaming is going to be more and more prevalent. And I think that's part of the reason why Netflix is doing what they're doing, because they kind of are betting on that fact. Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, Teen on Now responds. He says, I don't have uh, Netflix myself, but I occasionally use it at a friend's house. But as far as I can remember, Netflix doesn't stream their movies in HD. Um, again, I don't know. I don't have it. But I know that a couple years ago at E3, they were promising that they were going to be offering stuff streaming in HD. I don't know if they're up on that now depends on how you yeah. i guess how you um define hd uh, yeah. according to a, a comment by according to matt s right um yeah. 720p is that considered hd i mean i know uh, it's 16, it, it no, was on my tv <laughs> it's an yeah, hd tv 720p so oh because full hd is 1080 yeah right, right, right okay yeah. 720 is essentially what you get on tv now the yeah. non non high definition channel yeah so that's 720 which i guess looks okay but i think that's a dvd that's DVD, uh, DVD quality, I think. Yeah. Um, and then at, at the end, G-Song writes back in. He says, here, New York Times blog post on Netflix quality. And he has a link. Um, he says, apparently it depends on your connection speed and hardware. They use dynamic streaming, which means quality could be shifting if connection speed fluctuates. And that's a lot of times you'll get this little, you know, this little buffering message. And then you'll see it suddenly like shift to VCD quality. Um, I've seen that a couple of times when I've been back stateside. Yeah, and my dad was because uh, he's a Netflix mem- user and member, and he was streaming some stuff and showing me how it works. Um, so I've seen that kind of firsthand, the way it shifts in and out sometimes. Um, and he goes on to say, and only Apple TV and PS3 streaming service get 5.1 with regard to the audio. Uh, others just stereo. To me, this is like what earlier MP3 format made people lose appreciation for audio fidelity as they choose convenience over quality. I mean, that is a good point. Um, yeah. I, I guess eventually we moved back towards qual, uh, you know, towards quality a little bit, but it's still a lot about convenience, isn't it? Well, I the thing is, my own personal preference is that I like to have a. That's why I have a five point one speaker set on my computer. I I believe in fidelity. I believe in watching the film the best way possible. And yeah, I don't think I can get on board until Netflix can guarantee or, or internet speed for one, uh, for that matter, can can um can guarantee that mm. for me yeah i think yeah. i think that beats that beats um convenience for me so far well we're still in different camps uh, i'm still of the convenience mind though i do like quality and uh you're still in the quality mind but i'm sure you'd like 
more convenient. So hopefully they'll get them both right. Right, exactly. And please us all. And we can agree on that. Yes. All right. Um, if you would like to be part of the conversation, though, you can, you know, uh, carry along with us. Uh, jump over to the website. The uh, website is www.concast.com, and you can jump in and share your thoughts and opinions, and we might just talk about them right here on the show. Um, as always, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you really like what you're hearing, go over and leave us a five-star review. If you don't like it that much and you'd like to see some different things or some changes, uh, leave us, you know, a couple stars and tell us what you'd like to see done differently. Uh, Twitter, we're twitter.com slash concast, and you can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um, he's going to be doing, I guess, a lot of tweeting as his festival exploits start to pick up here in a couple weeks. Right. As always, you can email us at eScreen at gmail.com. And as we mentioned earlier, if you'd like to submit a review, um, record a short little audio file and send it in, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, of course, you can also find us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones, and maybe even the new Kindle Fire. <gasps> Who knows? I'm, I, you know, I got to tell you, I'm kind of excited about that little device. Don't know if I'm going to get one, but from what they've been talking about, the thing that intrigues me is that they're saying that it basically Amazon's selling it at a loss because mm. they want it to be a platform delivery device for you know all of their content, their books, uh, movies, and everything else. So it's kind of like a, like a video game kind of strategy, yes. trying to make money yep. off the, the software. Yes, exactly. My question is, because they've already got it to where you know you can access if you've got the Kindle readers, you know they've got their their I can't remember what it's called their Ethernet whatever they use, it's kind of like free three G to download your books, mm. um, and that's pretty global, you know it's not everywhere but it's in a lot of places including Hong Kong. My question is is if I get one of these things, am I going to be able to internationally rent movies from them and buy movies from them? Because right now. Even though I'm a heavy Amazon user and I've been an Amazon Prime member for a short stint, I can't because I'm blocked by the international IP. Mm. But if I can do it with this little device, uh, that, that, that could be very tempting for me because they mm. have a lot of titles that iTunes doesn't. Um, they have stuff for rent that iTunes doesn't on occasion. So I'm going to be interested to see what they do with that. Um, still holding out for an iPad 3, and we'll see in a couple hours, you know, what the new iPhone's going to be like. But for now, I'm kind of tempted about that. But where was I? Stitcher, yes. Uh, so you can listen to us on your, on all those platforms and possibly the Kindle Fire. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our little show. Um, we also got to say some thanks to Rob Gobers of Snowser Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHongKongFilm.com for all the organization that he does for getting us out and about and watching movies. And of course, the K-Man, who's always here with me every week. And all of you, the listeners. And speaking of the K-Man, what are you doing this week? Are you going to be writing anything people should be on the uh, aware of? Ah, yes, I have written uh, four reviews last week. I did Johnny English Reborn, Shark Knight 3D, uh, what else? Uh, Spy Kids 4D, uh, forget it. Um, <laughs> what else? Uh, what's the fourth movie I saw? Um, uh, 
Oh yeah, Johnny English Reborn, Spy Kids, Shark Knight, the uh, abduction. Yeah, abduction. Abs. Yes. Abduction. Abs. Abduction. Um, sorry, none of those are good. Um, but this coming week, I will be uh, writing a review for What's Your Number, starring Anna Faris and Chris Evans. And I will have to say that the film is better than the tra- what the trailer indicates. Mm. So uh, you can look forward to that on YP Movies, www.ypmovies.com.hk. Click on the English page and uh, just click on the movie you think I've written about and see if I wrote the review for it. All right. That sounds excellent. Next show, episode 87, we're going to be talking about 33D Invader, uh, the latest Category 3 film. And it's a lot more than what you might think it is, um, but in some ways it's more the same. Uh, but we'll <laughs> talk about that. Maybe, I think, I don't know, uh, for, for West Screen, Real Steel is out, and I'm kind of excited to see that. Mm. But when I think about putting those two in the same show, I'm I'm not sure, because, you know, on the one hand... 33D Invader is a Category 3 adult, soft adult film, you'd say. Um, and Real Steel is so totally made for kids. But it's PG-13. Really? And yes. I don't know. Yes, because it's like hardcore Disney. <laughs> Ew, what is that? Oh, what, what did I just go? I'm yeah, you, you just made up a whole new genre. <laughs> hardcore Disney. Disney after dark. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> Disney after dark. <laughs> Come here, girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are a twisted, twisted band, Mr. Ma. You know, sir. You yeah, know so it. 33D Invader and Real Steel, probably for next show, episode 87, along with a special guest who uh, I'm negotiating with to have on uh, for our show next week. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Disney's going to come after me with a vengeance. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, we never said who we were being. Hey, we never said any names. We never said any names. Yeah, I was, I was being uh, the CG mouse from uh, Sorcerer and the White Snake. That's it. I was being uh, um, um, Mickey Chan, the yeah. Chinese uh, cute mouse from China. Yeah. Mm. I said I didn't have any. Come. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet and so poor. <laughs>